Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. This time, the Sue Gray report into rule-breaking at Downing Street during the COVID lockdown. Gray, a senior civil servant, said behaviour in Downing Street during the pandemic was inconsistent with the rules imposed on the British public. She criticised failures of leadership and said many of the events should not have been allowed to happen. Read the report and you'll see that while the rest of us were strictly observing rules on distancing and in some cases missing the last moments of loved ones because of the restrictions, in Downing Street they were taking to heart the lyrics of an old fatback band classic. Any time is party time, and party time is any time. Johnson says he takes full responsibility for what happened and that he is humbled by the findings, but he insists he didn't knowingly mislead Parliament. To discuss this, I'm joined by Peter Dukes, who's the executive editor and co-founder of the Byline Times, and Otto English, author of 10 Great Lies and How They Shaped the World. Before that, though, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are supported by subscriptions to the Byline Times, which is our wonderful monthly newspaper edited by our colleague Hadeep Mathari. The latest edition is out now. You get more details on how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. So it's a welcome first to Peter Dukes. Peter, what have you made of the Sue Gray report in the couple of hours that we've had to digest it? Oh, it's a bit of a whitewash, I think. The fact they didn't investigate this ABBA party that wasn't appropriate brings to mind the Met's sort of equivocation over uh, its investigations of, you know, not finding Johnson for various other parties. It's kind of the worst of both worlds. It's like enough to damn him, but not enough for us to rest assured that our institutions are working properly to keep checks and balances within our system to hold the executive to account. And, And this is kind of the apogee or the nadir of Boris Johnson's progress through politics that everywhere he goes, like a, a shopping trolley, as Dominic Cummings calls him, or a bull in a china shop in his uh, what the greased piglet desire to survive, he manages to trash the reputations, not only of himself, which he does consistently, but he manages to make himself look relatively good by trashing those around him. You saw in the House of Commons his sort of reference to this um, uh, working whatever curry that Keir Keir Starmer had while campaigning uh, and is being now reopened, investigated by Durham police. The moral equivalence of one event which... Kirstama says was was within the rules to is it 162 fines and we have a center of criminality in Downing Street led by the prime minister seemingly enabled by his senior civil servants and they're making the equivalence of one slightly dubious sketchy event around whether that was in the rules this is what's happening to this country it's a race to the bottom and that uh, as long as Johnson looks relatively good the reputations of the civil service, the police, any other institutions are allowed to be trashed in his will to survive. 
Peter, you describe it as a whitewash. Some people might call it a grey wash, given that it was prepared by Sue Gray. But, I mean, the language, bear in mind she is a senior civil servant. She isn't a tabloid headline writer. She condemned failures of leadership. She said that the behaviour in, in and around Downing Street was inconsistent with the rules imposed on the British public. Might I suggest that in normal times, perhaps, with a different prime minister, that language would actually be damning enough to cost the PM their job? Oh, my goodness. But, I mean, we could go back over three years from lying to the Queen over the prorogation of Parliament, that most of the things which had felled any other prime minister. The nearly, for, on, on Margaret Thatcher, for example, the minister had to resign over slight misrepresentation to Parliament about the Westland affair. This was the American taking over a, a helicopter company here. And that was almost terminal because there was a deception of Parliament. I mean, Peter Oborn, who writes a, a regular diary for Byline Times, has in a Herculean effort, and it's like painting the fourth bridge, He's tried to document the lies of Boris Johnson. The problem is exactly that, that some people admire his will to survive. And it looks like he will, with a tarnished reputation, reputation survive this. But what is the cost to our institutions? There is one place where he's still accountable, and that's Parliament. There is a standards inquiry. We saw what happened to some of the other standards inquiries. They're ignored. But he has clearly misled Parliament. What he says is unintentionally. But it is dragged kicking and screaming with each concession that if he's lying to himself, he still has lied to Parliament. And I think that's maybe the last forum where there will be some accountability because Parliament is sovereign. But in the will to survive of Tory backbenchers, Will they get the um, gumption, as it were, to look to the future of the country rather than just the party or actually to the future of the party? Because a lot of those seats are, you know, the only way Johnson survives the fall in his poll ratings, which have died ever since the scandal emerged at the end of last year, is by saying, you know, terrifying us over the other side. We'll wait to see if there's accountability there. But in the meantime, we'll just start with a government which is focused on survival. It doesn't care about the cost of the living crisis, makes a lot of noises about Ukraine, but most of that stuff was done before, isn't great on refugees. So we live in this hiatus, and I must say a very Trumpian hiatus, whereby the investigations into the wrongdoing, with the help of the tabloids, with the help of very partisan politicians, I think one MP said yesterday on Channel 4 News, of course I, of course I support him in his lawlessness, this is the lawmakers being lawless. The, um, those parties were center of lawlessness while we were all locked down. Couldn't, I couldn't celebrate my son's 30th birthday, Christmases, all kinds of things. We all suffered. And now we're saying we're proud of that. That is bad for the country. And, you know, I, where does it end? Otto, firstly, your take on Sue well, I've powered my way through the report, so I won't say I've read it in any depth. Um, I, I, it doesn't feel to me like it's hugely condemnatory. I mean, it does hold the government to some account, and there is some interesting detail in there, but it's the sort of it's written in classic um, Whitehall ease, isn't it? It's not, um, it's not, it's not coming down hard enough on. The players in this and 
and just pick up on what Peter uh, well, said there. Uh, and Otto, yeah. it's not my place to particularly to defend Sue Gray, but I mean, she is a permanent, uh, a second permanent secretary. <laughs> that's, you know, yes, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it's all, but it's so it is written. I mean, it's it's not going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be up there on the bestseller charts next week, is it? <laughs> what, <laughs> or, next to or, you, <laughs> or next, oh. or next year, even. Um, I mean, I, I dipped into certain parts. The bit that the bit that really fascinated me was the one on the twentieth of May, twenty twenty. Uh, so that's uh, just three weeks after my father-in-law died. Uh, my father-in-law died in the first week of May. My wife knew he was dying. She couldn't go to hold his hand, visit him in hospital. Um, she she had to say goodbye over Zoom. Uh, there was no funeral. Uh, the coffin was taken off to the crematorium without any ceremony. And what, two weeks later, uh, on the 20th of May, 2020, the country's in lock- total lockdown. Daily case numbers are 2,000. The public have been told to stay at home. You can meet one person outside for a short walk. And what is Downing Street doing, according to the the Sugro report, they are holding a party for a planned 200 people. Let me say it again, 200 people. So you can meet one friend outside. You can't bury your father-in-law. You cannot visit your desperately ill father in hospital. But Downing Street is planning a party for 200. And Lee Kane, obviously worrying about the optics, writes to Martin Reynolds at number 10, and this is in the Sue Gray report, and says, I'm sure it will be fine, and I applaud the gesture, that's the party, but a 200-odd person invitation for drinks in the garden of number 10 is somewhat now. You might expect he's going to say ridiculous or stupid or against the rules, but no. He says it's a comms risk in the current environment. <clears throat> so so there they are. Lee Kane isn't worried about the party. He isn't worried that they're breaking lockdown. He isn't worried about the fact that this is deeply offensive behaviour when the rest of us are suffering this lockdown. He's worried about it being a comms risk, i.e. if it leaks out, it will look bad. So here you have these immensely arrogant, privileged, entitled people in and around Downing Street, totally disobeying the very rules that they have introduced so that they can still carry on regardless as if it's a weekend stag party in Magaluf. In in that regard as well, Otto, uh, there are comments about the treatment of cleaners. Yeah security guards if you like and i'm not using my language here i'm using the language that i imagine these people might use the little people and and their concerns their fears were brushed aside arrogantly well exactly i mean anybody who is familiar with the westminster village and the halls of power will know that that place so parliament itself and the 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 offshoots like downing street they're like a giant public school and in public schools the 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 children and the teachers tend to treat the staff and others with a disregard bordering on contempt 
And you can see that has carried on into these man and woman, child, adults' lives. They, they are still treated with people with contempt. It's contempt for us. It's contempt for their staff. It's contempt for the nation. That's my hot take. Mm. Uh, Peter, we have this kind of strange choreography around the initial commissioning of Sue Gray's report, which was seen as perhaps an attempt by Johnson to, to kick the can down the road when it appears that her report is about to be released or might soon be released. The Metropolitan Police, who until that point had shown no curiosity, no interest in prosecuting, suddenly become involved. That then delays this report. We're then into the world of fixed penalty notices with the Metropolitan Police. And now finally we have this report. And the impact of all of these events, had they come at one time had the report been published had the metropolitan police evidence of criminality been in the public domain at one point maybe maybe that would have toppled johnson but it, it, it's as though there's been a, a very masterful manipulation of the the evidence and the the shortcomings that have been highlighted here actually being brought into public view well it's a brilliant bits of news management um I liked um, Otto Andrews' peroration about contempt. Just on that, I mean, this is clearly now we live in Bullingdon Club, Britain, where Boris Johnson was a member, so was David Cameron, and they burn 20-pound notes, though he didn't do that himself, but the club did, um, in, in the face of homeless people. So, yeah, the news management, the way the mail wheeled round, and so did the um, sun. This is awful, Keir Starmer. Awful, got to be investigated. And then, oh, we're bored of Boris Johnson's law breaking. They have a revolving door. We have the deputy editor of the sun at some of these parties, apparently, as far as I can see. Uh, Mr. Slack, now back at the sun. Uh, we have a revolving door. People like Lee Kane from the media class into government. And they've done a good stitch-up job that any other, you know, person would have the full... If that, all that evidence had come together, all the lies exposed at once, then it would be much more terminal for Johnson. The Metropolitan Police, let's not forget, it was only under pressure. I think civil pressure from civil law, people like the Good Law uh, Project, which got them to investigate in the first place. So the, the problem is that... You know, we have survival at, as I said, at the cost of these institutions. And this is important. If people don't trust the police, or we know of people who were sort of fined for talking too long to somebody in the park, were stopped in the street. If these were working class people having a party with wine on the table at those dates, they would have been fined immediately. And that sense that there's one rule for them, one fall for us, is deeply corrosive to democracy i think you know that's why it's that's why it's really hit home isn't it really i think there are worse scandals billions poured away in dodgy ppe contracts but this echoes the ethos of this that there are boris johnson he likes to claim is a liberal he's a libertine and a libertarian sadly there are portions of the population there are vast portions of parliament as we can see from the investigation of multiple sexual offenses who admire that who emulate that would like to get away with it like a grease piglet now i know and we've seen it in the polls i remember two years ago boris johnson will be in power for a decade i doubt that that these people are vulnerable there is karma 
there is a judgment for these actions. Unfortunately, it looks it's going to have to wait on the British people to enact that judgment. And our institutions can't do it. The Queen can't do it. Our ultimate check, by the way, and this is the Queen, who obviously makes a point of doing nothing because that's her role. She doesn't want to be political. And Boris Johnson seemingly you know, misrepresented to her the prorogation argument. So we, it, with these weak backstops, these good chat conventions, that somebody with enough brutality and selfishness and charm, let's be honest, he has some charm, Boris Johnson can walk through. We've got to look back on this period and say, why did we construct a country that was actually so weak, that relied on the character of charming individuals who, when in place, behave utterly selfishly? If it wasn't Boris Johnson, by the way, revealing the weaknesses of the British state and its many institutions from the BBC to the civil service to the police, it would have been someone else. So maybe this is actually a good moment. We can start thinking, how do we stop another Boris Johnson doing the things he has done? I do want to take a call in a moment from Ian, who's chosen to join in, which is wonderful, Ian. Thank you. But as you were talking about media influence there, Peter, when I was discussing this with our colleague Hardeep Matharu yesterday, I raised the spectre of Leveson too. And I'm sorry to go over this old ground, but I find it rather obsessing me at the moment. And this was due to be an investigation by Lord Leveson into the links between the police, the media and politicians and it was eventually scuppered by the press themselves who as we understand it anyway pretty much told Theresa May when she was Conservative Prime Minister if you want our backing if you want the backing of the traditional right-wing tabloids in this country you better call off the attack dogs and you better drop Leveson too but all of the factors that made Leveson too relevant are pertinent here. Yeah, let's not forget the origin of Leveson 1, the phone hacking scandal, was that in 2006, the counterterrorism had found that News of the World had extensively hacked the voicemails of the, uh, Andrew and Harry, uh, William and Harry, the princes. And then they arrested the phone hacker, one of the phone hackers to use the world, there were more, and found 6,000 records, which they then buried. And it was only, by the way, thanks to the DPP at the time, Sir Keir Starmer, or Keir Starmer as he was then, that they agreed the law said all phone hacking, voicemail intercession, it, it was interception was illegal. And they opened it up and lo and behold, they found thousands of victims. So the police have this history. At that point, senior officers worked for News of the World. There was lots of money going under well, under which you have a lot of prosecutions or from police officers and public officials receiving money from the newspapers. That would have all emerged in Leveson 2 once the trials were over. There's no contempt of court. The extent of this industry, which was suborning the police among other public officials. We haven't even touched on the case of Daniel Morgan, which is a prime instance of police corruption coinciding with media corruption. And so left unchallenged, left untouched, I'd say this corruption has just flowered. And as Brian Cathcart and Sam Bright were on the program, I think a week or so ago, speaking brilliantly about this, they've merged. The political class and the media class have merged around defending as a cover-up to avoid consequences of their own actions, alleged you know, unlawful actions. 
And we have a, a state, which is really a political media class on the run, thinking it can manipulate the people to avoid that to, to, with an act of impunity. So, yeah, it is like the press have doubled down. Where that ends, it didn't end well with the phone hacking stuff. Levinson 2, um, you know, whether it's back on the cards, there's more to be done on that corruption. And we're seeing the consequences of not dealing with that sickness five years ago, when we promised a year afterwards, we were promised part two was always going to be about the information that came out of the trials. And they cancelled that. It's a cover-up, but all unseen corruption eventually comes out. Let's get a word from Ian, one of our listeners. Hello, Ian. Welcome along. You're on Byline Radio. Hi, mate. Hi, all. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear. Go on. Good. Um, just two quick points. I don't want to take up too much time. But the first thing is, can we stop referring to them as parties, but illegal gatherings? I think... Part of the methodology that's being used to excuse him is that, no, they don't, the cake one doesn't look a party, but it was an illegal gathering. And this message that everything is a party has, has got through. And the um, Tory MPs that you see defending him are saying, no, this wasn't a party. That was never the point. The point in law was illegal gatherings, not fit for a work purpose. Mm. Okay. And yeah, by yeah. calling them parties, I don't call them parties on Twitter. I think it's a wrong word, and everybody should call them illegal gatherings. That includes some Keir Starmer and BBC and others. Stop calling them parties, yeah, because it really annoys me. Um, that lets them get away with it because we all know what a party is and we all know what um we all know what the rules were at the time, yeah. That's sure. my first point. Um my second point is about what I so I watched the older process today on Parliament and uh, two things to notice is Labour's attack now is a plea to the to Conservatives to do their job. Now, they clearly don't want to do it or large enough numbers don't. So when Tobias Elwood stood up, um, he did a great speech. At the end, I thought he was going to cross the floor. He did nothing. His speech was fine. Words are great. His action, he should have crossed the floor. He does not belong in that current Conservative Party. Um, and then we never heard from anybody else, Theresa May, nothing. We never heard anything from uh, Steve Baker. We never heard anything from uh, Mark Harper. All ones that have stood up before, all quiet. Eventually, there weren't enough Tories left in, in the house to actually ask any more questions. It was just all Labour and the SNP and so forth. And the corruptness... And for people, see, for people who didn't see this scene, just so people know, Tobias sure. Hellwood, a Conservative MP, said the report was damning, and he did pose the question, didn't he, to his Conservative colleagues, are you willing, day in and day out, to defend this behaviour publicly? He talked about the erosion of trust yeah. with the British public, and he said that he couldn't think of any other British Prime Minister not quitting over this. So, again, he you know, he was pretty damning, in fairness to Tobias Elwood. And he got a lot of stick from, you heard the murmurings behind him mm, and around yeah, him, and he referenced from his, from that. His, from fellow Conservatives, yeah. And yeah. at that point, remember when Nick Bowles went over? And you had people say, don't go, Nick, and it made... Tobias could still be a conservative. He could cross the floor. He doesn't have. He can resign the whip effectively. He doesn't have to resign the Conservative Party. He can still be a member. Um, but I appreciate what he said. But I don't appreciate. There's no actions. There's no consequences. Um, where where was Tom Tugan at today? He certainly never spoke, as far as I followed it. As I Theresa May damning of Boris Johnson before she could have stood up and said this would never have happened under me. 
um, I, she doesn't, and she's been active. She would do that, and it's these conservative people who are just not prepared to stand up to this, and they're prepared to go along with it. It's what we see with the GOP with Trump. I think Peter mentioned Trumpian early, or, or Andrew, I can't remember who. Yeah, Peter. It's exactly the same. But what we're seeing over there now is we are seeing that split apart. If you follow the primaries, you saw that his nomination in Georgia totally collapsed, yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah. And that. these people don't last forever. Um, yeah, yeah. And well, let we... me bring Otto in on this, Otto, because it, it is a curious feature of the Conservative Party that Johnson's rating in the polls do not suggest that he is any longer an asset for the Conservatives, yet they still cling to this belief, perhaps based on his results at the last election, of course, the 80-seat majority, the supposed winning over of the Red Wall and all that, that uh, as one Conservative MP put it to me, uh, Otto, that he reaches parts that other Conservatives can't reach. I'm not sure that's true anymore. No, I don't think it's I don't think it's true at all. But uh, I keep seeing him referred to, even by his critics, as the greatest politician of his generation. Uh, and what they mean is that uh, he has such an enormous disregard for the truth that he's just prepared to lie his way into power and grab power. Now, if if that is the standard now, if if being the greatest politician of your generation means that you're just the biggest liar, what state are we at? And, and Peter, yeah. I thought... But you, you know, Andrew, Peter, that, for, for yeah, things, can I just say as well, for people yeah. who are confused, um, you, you're on here as Otto English, but Andrew yeah. is your real name, just in case yeah, people yeah. are confused by that. And I, I slip into calling you both. I think this is one of, I think, and th- this is a, a question as well, I would point about the way in which politics is covered in this country on mainstream outlets like the BBC and even to an extent on Channel 4, is, is this obsession with process. And mm. by the standards of process, Boris Johnson is a great politician because he's managed to wield the levers in a sufficiently agile way to maintain his position. If you're concerned with the machinations of politics, he is a great politician. When you look at what is done, what matters to people, then (laughs) it's a very different That's the other thing. That's the other thing. I mean, you know, I'm going to avoid making a Mussolini or Hitler reference, but you could apply the same logic to them, couldn't you? I mean, (laughs) but but anyway, the, the thing... The thing with Johnson is he never does anything. He never delivers anything. So when he was mayor of London for eight years, he delivered one thing, which was the route master, the, the uh, SATS route master buses, and arguably that funny little cable car over the Thames. He, he didn't. Oh, the route master buses. The route master buses, by the way, Andrew. Yeah. Um, uh, had to g- go back in, didn't they? They needed to have some ventilation. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, a complete. A <laughs> complete back in a complete. I mean, uh, yeah. The it was a complete wasn't, wasn't white elephant. Standards, you know. They. I mean, I admit they do look nice. Yeah. But they cost a million pounds a piece, and that's just. This is the phony nostalgia of the Johnson wing, you know, the Ladybird libertarians who can't look forward and are forever setting their standards by the designs and the purposes of the past. Although, as Peter touched on earlier, basically we've got Edwardian political systems or even Victorian or even older than that in some cases, medieval 
political systems, which were all built on a sort of sense of the, the not always right, but the belief that a gentleman's word was his bond and that um, you could trust a British person's word, you know, out there. If it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't work if you've got a liar in charge who's just willing to charge straight through it. And as Peter said about the, the monarch, it's Johnson shows that the monarchy itself is not fit for purpose because if that is our backstop and it's never, ever used, you could keep charging through that backstop as Johnson has done. I mean, it's... it's yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point that you've got this kind of theoretical position that the monarchy holds and its its point is to be the, the fail-safe for British democracy. But the monarchy, in a sense, is fatally compromised because the minute it seeks to become actively involved in politics, however the monarch is, then it, its position above politics is seen to have been compromised. So really, it can't do anything, can it? It is useless as a piece of kind of constitutional furniture. It's something you'd stick in the garage, really, isn't it? Well, it's like having having a fake fuse box under your stairs. Uh, And and then suddenly one day you you set all your appliances off and the whole house flipping burns down because it might be nice to look at, but it's a... It's a diamond-encrusted fuse box with no fuses in it. Let's bring in Abda Rahman. Hello, Abda. Welcome to Byline Radio. Hi. Yes. Yeah, welcome. Um, You're right. Um, I'm just uh, was thinking and listening to this conversation, and it's very insightful. Um, one thing that I was really curious about is how Johnson's lies, um, continuously about his lies, they don't seem to actually get through to the populace who whose core backers. Um, and they, it's this remarkable ability that they have to maintain this sort of cognitive dissonance, where on the one hand, they were the ones who were the most critical of any and all lockdown measures. And yet now that they are seeing this, this sheer breaking of lockdown, by the man who put those measures in place, they don't seem to have made the connection. Mm. Uh, uh, the point you make is a good one about the way in which these lies seem don't seem to get through on the doorstep, although perhaps Johnson's poll ratings tell a different story. But for a long time, I've got a good friend who's a local councillor in a local authority in the West Midlands. I've got a couple, actually. and But one of them, who I, I discuss kind of, Johnson with quite frequently said that on the doorstep, certainly until the last local elections, if he ever raised the question of Johnson's honesty or his lack of probity, people would just shrug their shoulders and say, they're all the same. They expect politicians to be dishonest and deceitful. And Peter, I know that we published something in uh, you published something in Byline Times recently, uh, and it was a, an issue that we touched on on the podcast a few weeks ago. This sense, which is fostered, I think, by many of the right wing tabloids, that uh, all politicians can't be trusted; they're all the same. It isn't true, but it feeds a narrative which kind of excuses Johnson to a degree. 
Yeah, this is the libertarian narrative. Um, it starts with Guido Fawkes and the MPs' expenses. Libertarians want zero government, you know, not small government, zero government. So they, uh, to them, if you know, politicians are respected less than tabloid journalists, or they're about the same level, the bottom. That's a win. That is the sort of modus operandi. Is if you don't really believe in government, let's discredit all of them. And everybody will be better off. Well, we'll see that actually what you get is oligarchy or libertarianism always seems to end with a strong man to me and not a lack of autocracy, but more of it. But I think we are in a bubble. So I watched the Kunzberg, Lower Kunzberg documentary. It was quite good yesterday on Panorama. She had the same line, but Johnson, uh, exceptional politician, his charisma. In that narrow world, and I will reveal to you something, I was in Westminster last night in the Strangers Bar. We had a Byline Times event in there. And in that narrow world, you can see that compared to the public school um, and Oxbridge College uh, ennui of the place, Boris Johnson's an interesting guy. I've met him. It's not that interesting. I only met him once. But compared to that, and in the media world, here's a big fish. In the media world, this narrow public school maybe educated editors who run Fleet Street, the correspondent. He's an amazing guy. He's free. He's funny in that world. In the bigger world, once people see through it, and the public are seeing through it, Barline TV's interviewed them, it ain't going so well. But here's another thing, really important, and ultimately really important for the country. Alexander Hall Hall, a former diplomat who writes for us, you know, she attends many conferences, talks to foreign policy experts in America and Europe. They all think he's a joke. Even they go, well, he's doing okay in Ukraine. There's a lot of noise. But they don't trust him. He breaks international law. Now, that will have a consequence. You can't go around the world blustering and joking away and quoting Latin forever because unlike whatever you disagree with in Blair or disagreed with Thatcher, they were statespeople of some stature. They, they, they stuck to their guns. They did what they said they were going to do. They weren't just interested in their own survival. We're already feeling the highest inflation rates in Europe, much higher cost of living crisis because of Brexit. Johnson's great innovation, apart from those buses, which cost a million pounds and didn't work. His other great innovation is Brexit. That will cost He's considered a joke on the international stage. He starts a trade war over the Northern Ireland Protocol. That will cost. There's a real world outside that Westminster bubble, outside that media bubble, where people will start hurting. And one thing he can't stop is the, well, I don't want to be too negative, but the potential catastrophe, which is facing a lot of people this summer. No amount of spin is going to, and we know the public, public opinion is like an oil tanker. You know, it takes a mile to turn around, but once it's turned around, it's unstoppable. What sunk major was not the summer sleeves and all those stories, was the economy, even though Ken Clark did quite a good job. But it's still people have memories of the recession of the 1990s. And I, for one, I don't know what Otto feels about this. I don't want, I want Johnson to own this, what's coming. In a way, if another somebody else has to take clear the mess, he would have escaped again. Part of me wants Johnson to stay in place for another year so people realize how screwed up on a massive scale when it comes to the economy, when it comes to Brexit, when it comes to COVID, when it comes to breaking international law. Did you come in, Andrew? Well, I, I, I agree with Peter to some extent. We all want to see the downfall of the, uh, of the bad guy, you know, the sheriff of Nottingham going down. Uh, the only trouble is, 
uh, you know, it, it's like saying we've got a drunk, idiotic bus driver driving our bus down this mountain pass, uh, and when he crashes, it will, it will, it will own him. You know, Travis, it will own all of us. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that, I mean, that's essentially the problem. That the man, the man is is in, is an incompetent leader. And the longer he stays in office, I mean, you know, I, I, I confess, what will we all talk about on Byline Radio? What will I write about? I think about it sometime once Johnson's gone. And actually, there's a whole array of things that we could talk about, not least about how to take this country forward, because the whole culture war thing that we're caught up in, the whole Johnsonian era is sort of treading water in a sea of shit i'm afraid to say we we are we're not this country is not improving it's not moving forward and as peter and the stench is smelt all around the world as peter says we are a laughing stock it's not just other politicians and diplomats it's you know my my 60 my 17 year old son says laughs at him and says he's a joke there's an entire generation beneath us all which are sort of looking on at this catastrophic clown show and sort of shaking their heads at the adults. It's something has got to shift. And I, and I think the thing that has to shift is that Johnson has got to go and this disastrous, chaotic and destructive government has to fall. Um, and if, if a period of dull calm under Starmer is what we get, then bring it on, say I. Peter mentioned Byline TV, of course, just a, a timely moment to remind you that if you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying Byline Radio or the Byline Times podcast, or indeed you enjoy watching Byline TV on Friday nights at eight o'clock, check out the YouTube channel. Then you can support all of that great work by taking out a subscription to our brilliant monthly newspaper. Yep, a traditional ink and paper newspaper. It's called the Byline Times and it really is rather good and if you take out a subscription to it and there is exclusive content in the monthly newspaper that you don't get anywhere else if you do take out a subscription to it then you're helping to fund not only that paper and brilliant writers like otto but you are also helping to fund the tv station byline radio and the byline times podcast you get details on how to subscribe at our website bylinetimes.com that's bylinetimes.com the uh, the defensive mode is already out if you like simon clark mp uh, this is on twitter saying sue gray has conducted a thorough investigation everyone is grateful for her work throughout the pandemic people made enormous sacrifices and i understand entirely the frustration and upset that revelations about some behavior in downing street have caused it was unacceptable and the pm has been right to apologize and to institute comprehensive reform to the running of the building however with the publication of her report which includes no fresh revelations with the Prime Minister having made clear his sincere apology and having already instituted the necessary changes. And number 10, it is time to move on. A phrase I suspect we're going to be hearing a lot of over the next few days. Michael Gove, I agree with Simon. Sue Gray's report documents unacceptable behaviour that has caused understandable anger. The PM has apologised. Lessons have had to be learned and changes made. Now we need to focus 
on the economic challenges ahead and get behind the PM. There we go. So no change at the top of the Conservative Party or indeed amongst many backbenchers. Uh, let's bring in Davey Moore. Hello, Davey. Welcome along. You're on Byline Radio. Go on. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, thank you. That was actually the perfect time to bring me on because I opened up a lot on a thread yesterday about what the reality of people's sacrifices has been like. I talked about what it was like to have to grieve losing my mum. She didn't die of coronavirus, she died of cancer, but it was days before the first lockdown. And so I, I just put a little bit out there about what it was like to sit alone in a tiny flat with no company, no friends, no family, nothing. I went to her funeral, there were four of us. Couldn't hug my dad, couldn't touch my mum's coffin to say goodbye. I went back home after that, no parties, no nothing. And I was alone for months. I nearly went insane. I have PTSD from from watching my mum's death. And I suffered that alone. And I did it gladly. I was I was happy that I was keeping people safe. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that I'm the only person. You know, I've, I've, like I've literally, one of the things I've done today is emailed Hardeep and asked if I could possibly write for Byline about this exact topic. I understand how many people have sacrificed it's not a question of, you know, is there failings in Downing Street or any of that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's been reform. These things happened under the watch of a man like Boris Johnson. These things happened under the guidance of his staff. He was there. He saw these things happen. He allowed them to go ahead. Junior staff have been punished more severely than him because they were under the impression that if the prime minister's here, it must be okay, right? They were led down the garden path. We've all been, collectively, whether you agree with it or not, we have all been betrayed by a man that could not follow his own laws. Those laws were in place not to stop people having parties, not to stop people having fun, but to stop people from spreading a deadly pathogen that kills you by making your lungs fill up with fluid. And I cannot accept an apology from a man who, one, has never shown any contrition, made jokes about Keir Starmer and made jokes about the old leader of the opposition today and would never have done anything to punish the people that instigated these parties that weren't his idea if he hadn't been caught by the national press. So I don't see how he dares to stand before the House today or how any of the MPs that have dared to say that sentence today have the gall to stand in front of people like me people that have sacrificed, as I have, and tell us to move on. I will not move on until I see the back of that man and hopefully the back of this entire corrupt government. That's all I can say about it. David, that's very powerful testimony. Thank you. And I've spoken to Nazir Afsal, the former Chief Crown Prosecutor for North West England. I've spoken to other people as well for the podcast who've lost family members. I lost my best mate during COVID, wasn't able to go to his funeral. You know, so many people were touched by these restrictions in a way that was really meaningful to them. They were not minor irritations. They were things that got in the way of proper grieving and proper living but most of us took it on the chin for a good reason we understood and accepted that there was a logic behind not meeting up in large groups we did it for the greater good that's a really really good call davy thank you toby welcome to byline radio how are you you're right afternoon everybody hello davy peter otto um i think my biggest point that i'm looking at now is that um 
we sort of are watching a man who's indestructible at the minute. You know, we all thought that this report would take him down the wallpaper stuff, corruption. There's no way that you can get away with that level of corruption in public knowledge and still be a sitting prime minister. He's completely washed over it. Then we've got the parties and we all thought Sue Gray would save the day. Sue Gray will come in with a report and it will be so bad, it'll take him down. We're realising today that Sue Gray's not going to save us either. Dominic Cummings comes out and says he's going to take down Boris Johnson and we think Dominic Cummings is going to do it. We've seen all his cards. He's not going to do it either. His own politicians, we all thought that his own politicians must write this letter to the committee to take him down. They are not going to do it. He seems like a man that's indestructible. And then now we're realising that he pays the press as much money as he can to keep producing reports to put his party in a favourable position in the polls. So my question really is now, like, you know, this man isn't going to go. And thinking that if we just sit by and watch what happens until 2024 and how bad it's been for people, they'll definitely remember that and they'll go to the polls and they'll vote him out and they'll vote for Kia. Kia, a man who in my area in North England, Sheffield, nobody knows anything about him at all remotely. But we're all waiting on that moment or that person to come out of nowhere and sort of save us all and take him down. I'm thinking that the left sort of, we're all sort of stuck. We're in this void, this area where we can't get rid of him. It seems like nothing's going to actually take this man down for good. And I'm wondering what the next move is for everybody. Because, you know, if you go onto left-wing Twitter, it's probably one of the most resource-heavy places in the world. If 10 minutes of left-wing Twitter and everybody's going to hate the Tories because you've got a doctor talking about how bad things are. You've got an economist, you've got this expert and that expert openly saying how terrible the government is, but those messages just aren't conveying to people on the streets. The people on the streets are reading newspapers and watching the TV backed by Boris Johnson and just aren't that bothered about the things that we're reading and we're seeing. With his no, well, Toby, Toby, I want to bring, I'll bring Peter in on this because, I mean, Twitter is only a, a, a tiny niche, isn't it? Although it's you know, a very popular social media site and we're using Twitter spaces now, it is only a tiny niche and it does attract both right and left, I think, a certain type of people, myself included, I suppose. But, but Peter, you and I have discussed this before. You know, the certainly on the left, this obsession with fighting the war of Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, the left would sooner destroy Keir Starmer, the Corbynite left, some parts of it anyway, would sooner destroy Keir Starmer than see Boris Johnson removed, it seems to me. Oh, we've lost Peter for a second. I'm not quite sure what's happened there. You still there, Peter? Otto, did you want to talk to that? I mean, you'll you'll be aware yes. of it. you know the whole the whole kind of <laughs> I, scenario around attacking. Oh, attacking so stuff. so let's let's take the Ivo Delling poll uh, situation, which is the which is Keir's beer in Durham, uh, which uh, is is a very curious very curious story indeed, because you've got this situation where. Um, this student happened to be passing, um, happened to be passing where Keir Starmer was having a curry and a beer, and um, happened to snap this photograph. Well, Ivo Dellingpole, who took that photograph, it happens to be the son of James Dellingpole, who happens to be Boris Johnson's best friend from Oxford. Uh, so the that story is bad enough, but then. People from the left, I won't name names, but pro-Corbyn people in particular, some 
pro-Corbyn people because people have been bringing me up on Twitter about this. It doesn't mean that all the people who supported Corbyn were, were, have turned on Keir Starmer, but they, they've leapt on that story and sort of said there's some equivalence between Keir Starmer drinking his beer and having his curry whilst he was on, uh, you know, whilst he was campaigning, and this mountain of evidence of parties at Downing Street and this total disregard for the rules. Um, I find it deeply, deeply dispiriting that that is happening because it's a total distraction and it's a distraction that has been placed there by some of the very worst people, which is the Denning Poles of this world, you know. So um, if people want a, pro- a, a better government and a better future, we're not all get when we're offered the box of chocolates, we don't all get to choose the walnut world. You know, sometimes we have to go for a chocolate that we don't it, it exactly want. Just well, I mean, not that the chocolates are life and death, but that's... <laughs> I'm enjoying I, the analogy. I'm, I, thinking I'm going the, down. I'm thinking I, of the obviously, purple. a walnut world. Oh, well, no, no, not the purple one. Not the purple one. It's the walnut world everybody wants. Not everybody wants the walnut. Not everyone can have the walnut world. You can have the walnut world. I'm I'll have the, the walnut world. <laughs> but the point, we're going off topic here. But the point is, Starmer is a much better option. Starmer opens the doors to the future, uh, keeping Boris Johnson in power uh, and enabling Boris Johnson by fighting the battle of Jeremy Corbyn, which is over. That war is over. And those people, just as we lost Brexit and had to move on, Remainers were obliged eventually to move on. Those people are fighting a battle that is over and and they're fighting it in large against the wrong side. They've turned on their own people. Um, So the the battle to be fought, the, the battle with the tiger in the room, if you like, is the battle with Boris Johnson. Don't fight the imaginary curry battle of Durham in your heads. That's what I would say to people who are still doing that. <laughs> Toby, do you recognise that? You know, that there is certainly, and again, I don't know how representative that group on Twitter is of the wider Labour Party or of wider society. I'm not a member of the Labour Party or, or of any political party. But that certainly if you read Twitter, the, the sense that there are a significant number of people in the Labour Party who despise Keir Starmer perhaps even more than they do Boris Johnson. Yeah, that exists and it's a huge problem, of course. And obviously, you know, it's it's not great at all. And I think everybody needs to unite to take down Boris Johnson massively. But my point being is, is what's next? You know, do we go back to talking about the Sue Gray report? Do we talk about the Lebedev report? Do we talk about the wallpaper stuff, the corruption, the scandals, the pay in the media? It doesn't seem like any of this is really going to take down Boris Johnson. And that's my concern is that we are going to be waiting until 2024, crossing our fingers that the papers aren't too nasty on our side of the political spectrum and hoping that somehow the Tories are going to lose power. And I'm just not all that confident. So I'm thinking that everybody, you know, just as you've said, needs to get together and needs to crack heads and come up with some sort of plan that's going to actually take this man down because it wasn't Dominic Cummings. It isn't Sue Gray. It isn't any of these reports. It's not his own politicians. And I have no idea what it's going to be, to be honest. Mm. Well, we'll see what happens if we have... Oh, sorry. Can I just add something in there? I I agree with everything Toby said. Uh, I think... The unique thing about the pandemic is that all of us have been affected. There is not a man, woman, child in this country. I mean, 
we've talked all of us to some extent about losing loved ones, uh, friends, members of our family. I lost my mother during the pandemic and my father-in-law. But there, there are all of us, even those who haven't lost loved ones, have been affected. Children have had their entire lives disrupted. Exams have been thrown in the air. Kids who were going to university or kids like my daughter, actually, who was celebrating her 13th and 14th birthday, those things have all been missed. And it struck me as I was looking through Sue Gray's report today that one of those large parties happened two weeks after my daughter couldn't have her 13th birthday party. Uh, And that was a big event in our lives. That was a big moment. And we lost it. We couldn't have a party. We couldn't have friends around. We couldn't have balloons or cakes. Her friends had to drive past to the front of our house in a, in a calm wave. Meanwhile, yeah. in Downing Street... Uh, yeah. Andrew, I'm, I'm just now, today, sorting out my my daughter's 16-year-old presents. Yeah. Like, we're going we're gonna to go away. My, her 16th birthday present, she is now 18. <laughs> You know, yes, so, but we, we couldn't do anything. We haven't been able to do anything over that time. Well, is that, is that, no, no, but my final point is this. Yeah. I think people won't forget it. I think there are millions of people in this country. I think the Tories think they can charge on, that they think they can get away with it and that everybody will just let it wash over them. But I think in time, people will come back to remember these events and that connection between the arrogance of the parties and millions of lost moments in life is a resonant one. And I think that's the way to get them. Maybe, although it will be two years before any election. And, you know, that I guess there may be a reliance on the fact that people don't have such long memories. We shall see. I want to bring Peter in on this. Cathy, I'll come to you in a moment. Peter, YouGov have put out a, a snap poll. And I'll just go through the headlines of this YouGov poll. So of all British people, 59% think that Johnson should resign as prime minister. 30% think he should remain. Now, amongst conservative voters, 27% say he should resign, but 63% say he should remain in his role. That's despite the fact that the majority of conservative voters in this poll believe that he has been dishonest. So... We have a situation where a significant number of voters are clearly comfortable with the idea that the prime minister is a liar. They they believe that he was dishonest. They want him to stay as PM. Well, we've got a problem with Peter's line again there. I'm not sure what's happened to Peter. Um, we might try and get him back in a minute. Hello, Peter. You there? No. Um, Cathy, go on. Do you want to join in, Cathy? Hiya. Hiya, how are you doing? Um, I've got two points. Um, Number one, um, the absence of blowback from his MPs today. Mm. Number two, the absence of any real investigation into, you know, what was promised to be the most damning of revelations, really, which is the ABBA party, right? So on point number one, the absence of blowback, I think the MPC Johnson, as like in the game of Monopoly, um, a stay-out-of-jail-free card. You know, corruption begets corruption and all of that. And I think there's a level of mutually assured destruction there. Um, On number two, the ABBA party, 
the absence of investigation by Sue, <laughs> that, you know, she started, it said, but she didn't finish it. Was that the compromise, I wonder, of the meeting, rather than the narrative that he asked her to stop publication? What do you reckon? Hello? I don't know where, I don't know where Adrian's gone. I've done my, oh, my, my favourite trick of switching off my microphone and then forgetting to switch it on again. <laughs> Just uh, say, it's nice to hear your voice, Cathy. I'll let Adrian speak now. Oh, thank no, you. I was, I was going to say, I, I, it, it's, I mean, the meeting between Sue Gray and Johnson was uh, after the report had been prepared and published, and and yet the suggestion is that the ABBA report, the ABBA party, simply wasn't investigated. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we should put two and two together and make five there. I think that for whatever reason, Sue Gray decided not to investigate the ABBA party, but I, I don't know why. I, I, I'm, I'm just have no idea. Why she wouldn't, yeah. Well, so, I mean, do, you know, do you think about the MPs? I, I genuinely think that it's, you know, he is their kind of like shield. Um, and I don't think it's got anything to do with being electable at the uh, the next general election. It, it is it is weird, the party, isn't it? I mean, Sue Gray has said she didn't think it would be appropriate or proportionate to investigate further. I mean, it's, it is a, it is a curious, curious, curious story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, whether it was a party or... Remember, we must... Uh, Ian corrected us, we should say legal gathering. I mean, that's what <laughs> these were. We don't, we don't know uh, that this one was illegal, do we? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, it's very, very, very strange. Uh, thank you, Cathy. You're welcome. Good to speak to you. Nice to speak to you. Uh, this is Oh Hello Troll. Welcome, Oh Hello Troll. Thank you. Uh, certainly not a troll, but it, it's a, it's a, it's just um, to cover up my identity. I don't want to be. That's fine. Publishing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I think we've spoken before. Um, yeah. So, um, um, I, I, I sort of observed two things. So, um, uh, Andrew mentioned something that uh, Boris Johnson hasn't achieved anything, but I think we're uh, looking at it through a completely different microscope. He has achieved a lot just not for the people who need it. He just has achieved a lot for his party donors. That's all it, he's done. Um, the other thing that I uh, wanted to mention was Peter mentioned that uh, we've got basically a media political party, a media political class. Um, that's all well and good in saying in terms of what the observation is, uh, and we can all observe what it is. But how do we dismantle it because that is what is hurting this country and that is what is hurting the common people because we've all already we're already deep in a cost of living crisis um uh whether or not that has been made worse by brexit in my opinion it has but i don't know whether but it it's how how do we sort of dismantle that how do we climb down from this ledge that we have sort of pushed ourselves into and i say we uh, collectively as a country because as uh, Adrian, you mentioned that um, the left was attacking each other over Jer Jeremy Corbyn, but we, and I agree with you, we, de we do need to stop attacking, both camps do need to stop attacking each other because we do have a common goal in front of us, which is to get rid of Boris Johnson. But how? Because as, um, who was it? Um, Toby, was it Toby that mentioned that 
it seems like that Boris Johnson is sort of invincible in all of the battles that he's uh, that he's fighting right now, and none of the battles that he's fighting are in the interest of uh, public uh, good. Uh, he's not fighting in our corner. But that's that's what I mean. No, well, it's, uh, the question you raise about uh, Brexit, by the way, I mean, clearly that there are issues in the global economy now that are affecting all developed economies and the, the war in Ukraine being one of them. So yeah, it'd be dishonest uh, to, to suggest that Brexit was the sole cause, perhaps even dishonest to suggest it was the primary cause of the cost of living crisis that we're going through. But the centre for, ec- the centre for economic performance... Yeah, uh, and I do... Uh, Sorry, can I just finish the point? Uh, the the Centre for Economic yes, Reform yes. At, at the London School of Economics said that Brexit, on its analysis, had caused a 6% increase in Britain's food prices. So, assuming the economists at the LSE are to be believed, Brexit has had a negative impact on the cost of living. Yeah. And can I just say, Adam Posen, who um, appeared at the festival once, PIE, he just, um, American Institute has analysed this and he's done the graphs. Yeah, there is extra inflation caused by labour shortages and a trade war against ourselves. Brexit is clearly, you know, we can't deny it is a bigger factor for us let alone the rampant inequality and the cronyism we see. But that that speaks to the heart of what we can do about it. Now, uh, obviously, because I, I, I was blocked off on my Twitter space, I couldn't respond to your point, we're in a little bubble, right? And this bubble is left-wing uh, or, or left to centre, though, you know, we have One Nation Conservatives writing for Byline Times, Green Party members, Lib Dems. I think there's a much broader alliance than we think on these matters. And the message is spreading as the papers need financial support from the government because people aren't buying them and advertisers don't trust them. So there is a space. One thing I wanted to say about this left-right conflict, if you like, the way we can all gather around and elements of the right don't agree with this, and I'm afraid some elements of the left don't agree on this, and that's the rule of law and factuality. If we make a mistake on Barlow Times, we immediately issue a correction. There is a mainly on the right, but on some elements of the left, that truth can be sacrificed for the greater good of you know, socialist paradise, that the rule of law is really a bourgeois institution, that these things, which we call democracy, are in the way of progress. I think we've got to rally around, of course there should be more unity, but it can't be a unity like around the tabloid values of Keir Starmer's curry gate, because that's just a recipe for chaos. And so I am optimistic. Morris Johnson is in a much worse position than we'd ever imagined when he assumed power with that 80-seat majority. Dominic Cummins has left him. Mimira Mirza has left him. Various key people like David Davis, who I bumped into Parliament last night. And, um, oh gosh, who's the guy? Steve Baker has said he will resign. We mustn't be... This is a critical moment. And it will be us rallying around. Okay, I might disagree with... Some Corbynites on this, Lib Dems on this, Greens on this, One Nation Tories on this. But we have a common language of truth, 
of democratic accountability, which we sort these things out and not just will to power and Trumpian lies. Because the Naples also of that, the ultimate destination of that, I'm afraid, and I'm being extreme here, but is Putin's Russia, where it's all media manipulation. It's all lies. You find an enemy. We have migrants at the moment and refugees, and it ends in violence, just as these tragic stories. I'm sorry to hear about Dave Moore. I wanted to respond. So many tragic stories of people and their loved ones and birthdays and funerals missed. That is real. That is not. We abided by the rules because we were saving lives and they didn't care. That matters and that will carry on matter. And the historical record, especially if Otto writes it, it will matter. <laughs> uh, let's bring in Imran Raja. Imran will be our last caller for uh, this broadcast. Hello, Imran. Welcome to Byline Radio. And as I say that, Imran magically disappears. Uh, also, I, can, I, can I just make a point based on yeah, what Peter on, said? Yeah, go on. You have a final but, say anyway. So, 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 so what, what was being said there, really, about the journalism and all that kind of thing, we, we live in this very narrative age, and Johnson is a storyteller, and so is Gove, and so are many of the people high up in the Conservative Party. And they have basically created this narrative and seized control, to use a hackneyed expression, of the narrative. And the narrative is about culture wars and wokeism and, and you know, getting Brexit done and all of this kind of stuff. The, the people who oppose Johnson, and I think, as Peter and everybody else has said, actually, it is a broad coalition of people. There are conservatives who oppose Johnson, and there are people right across the political spectrum who oppose Johnson. The people who want to de-seat Johnson and take us through the doors into the brighter future of Walnut Worlds, those people have got to take the narrative, but they've also got to create a narrative. They need to create an attractive alternative narrative to the chaos narrative that we are living through. And that that's that was just the last one I wanted to make, really. Okay. Is Liz there? Hello, Liz. Hi, can I ask everyone to stop creating a narrative and start speaking the truth? I've worked in the team. I know exactly what's been going on. And I think it's it's time to tell the truth and be honest about what's happened. Um, people are being thrown under the bus a lot uh, on this, as uh, civil servants, as... Uh, senior leads, and he needs to be accountable for his actions. Uh, there's always somebody accountable. Um, Sue is honest in her approach and her belief in everything, um, but I honestly believe we need to stop um, shouting at civil servants and people that have helped write this. There is an, you know, and stop talking about a narrative. We need to stop um, defending and partially defending and saying the right thing, what we think the media wants to hear, and actually just stand up collectively together and say, Boris, I'm sorry, you lied, you got caught, you're out. And it's very simple. I don't see why we're defending anything or why we're justifying anything. He needs to go. And I know firsthand he needs to go. But Liz, when you say you know firsthand, then what? Are you a civil servant? I am, yes. Uh -huh. And do you work, I don't want to jeopardise your position, but do you work in an area that, that would have knowledge of, of what was going on at that time, some of the events that are covered by Sue Gray? I do, and I'm not attending, I didn't attend any of the events, 
um, but I'm aware of them and I've worked on it and I do know what's happening. But I also think it's been hard because I've been I've I've been victimized in this. I've been I'm a person being hounded by media. I'm she's been hounded by media. It's it's been a bit of an unfair spectacle and she was put in a very difficult position. We've all been put in a diff- difficult position to to handle this situation. Um but there are a lot of heads that are accountable in my opinion. And that's my personal opinion. I'm taking myself out and I'm actually speaking outside of the code I, I, it probably um i'm not putting myself to that but i'm also i want everyone to stop talking about the 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 little basic facts of what's coming out of the report nothing has actually changed effectively it's just been confirmed um more and more and it's a case of collectively work together to actually make him realize you know it is time to go. We've got so many bigger things to worry about. The cost of living, the issues that need to be addressed are not being addressed. Everything's not being addressed. But we're focusing on something that we knew happened. And we've, and unfortunately, I, I'm not responsible for the final uh, um, the report, but it's not, it's not helpful. It's just all, all of this is not helpful. But do you and your colleagues feel that civil servants have been, to use a phrase we've heard earlier on, have been thrown under the bus to protect the Prime Minister? Effectively, yes. Um, a lot of them were there under a mis- mis- misunderstanding of their role or their place or what they should do. They equally had a choice, though. They equally had a choice to say, I shouldn't go, I don't want to go, I'm going home, um, which they didn't do. Um, but... The way it's all been narrated, the final reports, the media attention, the way it's all happening, I think credit where credit is due and ask the questions and ask the questions fairly. Liz, thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us. Peter, did you want to have a final thought? Yeah, I, I hear good things about Sue Grave and people who know her, an honourable civil servant. And one of the worst aspects is in my heart goes out to Liz and other civil servants. There was a, a madness there. There was social conformity. There was, like the Buddington Club, a pressure. You know, look what happened to custodians and cleaners who are mocked for saying they're breaking down the rules. And this is part of the destructiveness of what Boris Johnson is doing from to many institutions, from the Crown to the civil service to the police. Um, I do. I'm. I'm. I, I'm going to disagree with Andrew Otto for one moment. I do agree. Obviously, you need a powerful vision, like sort of whether you liked it, you know, whether it's good or not. New Labour did or Thatcherism did. There was a powerful vision of the future and a kind of narrative. But I left drama 10 years ago. (laughs) I know Otto was in drama, too, because I was sick and tired of stories. I need some more facts. And even watching the Laura Kunzbo thing last night, it's all about spin. Oh, they might think that the public might think that the public aren't told the facts. And, and we just need, uh, yeah, I agree, we need to put these, these facts into a story and then give an alternative. But the moment, it's, we're driven by pundits like Govan Johnson, who are great after-dinner speakers, and we all laugh, and then we rue the consequences. Maybe, you know, we have too many storytellers, and what we need is a little bit more forensic accountability. Thanks very much indeed, Peter. Thanks to Otto English. Thanks to everybody who's taken part as well. Been a really, really good 
discussion. Dominic Raab, Foreign Secretary, the PM has apologised and is implementing all Sue Gray's recommendations. Now we need to get on and deliver for the British people, growing our economy to tackle the cost of living, funding the NHS to clear COVID backlogs and cutting crime to make our streets safer. Anyone would think this was an orchestrated campaign by the Conservative Party wouldn't they? Anyway, it's been really, really fascinating to hear so many insights. Thank you, as I say, in particular to Peter and to Otto, but to everybody who's taken part or just listened, it's, it's been great to have you along. And just to remind you before we go, that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. So if you've enjoyed this and you've appreciated the level of conversation that we have, and I should say having hosted radio phone-ins, in all corners of the BBC and in commercial radio, the conversations we have at Byline Radio are the most intelligent and elevated that I've had the pleasure to host. If you support this kind of broadcasting, please do take out a subscription to the Byline Times. Get more details at bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed. We'll see you all again soon. Stay tuned to at Byline Radio on Twitter to find out when we're having our next live Twitter space. See you all again soon. Thank you.